this week we're starting a new series on stewardship. So it's, it's all the exciting things today. Prayer, fasting, and God's going to tell you how to handle your money. Great. But no, this is, this is a, it's an important thing and it's a good thing because the Bible, interestingly enough, it has a lot to say about salvation and a lot to say about faith, but you'd be surprised, some of you, by how much it has to say about money. Now, stewardship is this idea, if, if you're not familiar with church or if you've never heard this phrase, it's this idea of managing someone else's resources on, on their behalf. So stewardship is this idea that, that God has given us money, God has given us the ability to raise money, to, to work and to earn money, and, and we ought to use that money in a way that shows us that God is our God and money is not our God. So... It's interesting that if you look at the, gospel, the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of every 10 verses deals with money. I mean, that, that surprised me when I, when I saw that. I didn't count them myself. I just, that's what the internet told me. So. so if I'm wrong, take it up with the internet. The phone number is on the internet. Um, almost half of Jesus' parables dealt with money and possessions. You know, sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to come to church and have people tell me how to handle my life. Well, that's what Jesus did. I mean, he he was calling us to a holy life. He called the people to repentance and faith, but he really got into the business of, okay, this is what this looks like. If you really believe that I'm your Lord and Savior, this is how you're going to spend your money. This is how you're not going to spend your money. And this is what you're going to think and feel about the money that you have. The rest of the Bible is full of verses that address money and possessions. I, I looked and one... One site said that it was over 2,000 uh, verses about money. So there's a lot to be said about money, and there's a lot that, that we can glean. But today I want to step back. Uh, we, we, we can talk about managing money and, and what's wise and what's unwise and what's, what's good, a good decision and whether or not debt is something that, that God allows. And we can talk about all of those things, but, but there's some more foundational elements that we want to address. And there's one that Jesus talks about. He shows us that, that managing money in a godly way begins with, with one fundamental question. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24, just one verse. We're going to stand together and, and read. So if you can stand with me. This is Matthew six twenty-four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see that our relationship to wealth, our relationship to money, it's a, it's a barometer, it's a It's an indicator of what we believe is most important in our life. And Lord God, I pray that we would would settle it in our souls that you are most important. Lord God, I pray that we would be able to say that you are Lord not only of our salvation, not only of our hearts, not only of our our decision-making, but you'd be the Lord of our wallet. And Lord, like Colleen said, let us trust you because you know best. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Have you ever had two bosses or three bosses or four bosses? I, I imagine many of you do because we live in a, a, an area where people are contractors. So you kind of report to your, your contracting company, you know, Booz Allen or whatever, but you also report to the person who's managing the project manager or the, you know, the, the lead who's managing the, the project that you're on. And I know that I've had quite a few uh, bosses at one time, and it's, it's, it's a difficult situation to be in, right? It's not fun. You, you have your main boss who gives you your review every year and defines your job description and, and is making sure you're not on the bench or you're not, you're not being underutilized. And then you have your, your project manager. Or, um, but, but, you know, the organizational guru is called this being matrixed. And it's a lot less cool and exciting than actually being in the matrix. It's pretty boring and kind of frustrating because you end up with two bosses it isn't fun because you've got one more person to please. You've got one more set of priorities to accomplish. And, and sometimes the priorities can kind of be like this. You know, one guy's like, I want you to be super successful. I want you to make this happen. And the other, set, the other boss says, uh, I want you to have all of the $10 budget for this project. And so you have to make, you know, you have to make bricks from, from no, no straw, with no straw. You, you have to make magic happen. And this is the tension of having more than one boss. And in pushed to its utter limit, it can be something that really is destructive. And Jesus talks about this tension. He's, he's addressing the reality that, that when you have two separate masters, you're going to have two separate sorts of, uh, of priorities, and, and they're often going to go counter to one another. Look at verse 24, well, we're going to look at that verse the whole time. Hopefully by the end you'll be able to remember it. In the first part it says this, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. We don't just have bosses in our careers. Uh, We have a, a master of our life. It's interesting that Jesus, he just assumes that someone is going to be the master of your life. Now, your master may be your own desires and, and whim, but, but someone is going to determine the priorities that you live by, either explicitly or implicitly. And many of us, we go through life and we are implicitly allowing our own hunger and desires and, and really our sinful nature determine our priorities. And, and Jesus says, you've got to pick. If you don't pick, you're making a choice, right? Making no choice is making a choice. One thing is going, to be, uh, is going to be our master. And, in, in, and if we step back and think about the people that Jesus is teaching, he's talking to Jewish individuals who, they're, they're familiar with this idea of, of a lord, of a master, of someone who's in charge. If you go to, Deut- you don't have to go there, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's this, this uh, statement that, that Moses gives us that ends up actually being a bit like a, the Lord's prayer for the Old Testament. It's called the Shema because that's how it starts. It says this in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Right? That is the mission statement of our ultimate boss. And this is something that they would pray daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, what is, 
all your heart, soul, and your might. Every day, over and over. So against that backdrop, Jesus comes and he says, you can't serve two masters. Because the reality was many people had been giving lip service to this statement, saying, yes, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But in their hearts, they were saying, money is God, money is one. Or they're saying this particular hunger that is fed by money is one. And, and it's interesting, Jesus doesn't say, uh, you can only serve uh, God and money. He sa- or he doesn't say God, money, and all the other idols. He says God and money. Because money is the means by which all these other idols are, are worshipped. They would have understood that Jesus was poking at that, that allegiance that he calls for. You can only have one master. So there was no question when, when Jesus provides these two pictures, no one can serve two masters. The, the, the audience wouldn't have been thinking to themselves, well, you know, you make a good point, God. You make a good point, Jesus. I'm going I'm to make some pros and cons lists. You know, God on this side, money on this side, and I'm going to make an informed decision. No, he's implicitly saying something about the choice that they need to make. It's kind of like when you talk to your kids and you're like, you have two choices. Really what you're saying is you have one choice or you get Spanx. And then you have to do that other choice. So it's, it's really one choice. Do you want Spanx now or no Spanx? Or discipline or, you know, time out, whatever you do. Proverbs says something about that though. Anyhow. I just want to pause for a second. What about you? you you've come to church. You know, we, you're here if you're not here because some friend told you that this was a party and you're like, it's kind of early, but I'll come. <laughs> but most of you are here for a reason. You know, you didn't just think this was brunch. And, and my question is to you, who is your master? Is it settled in your soul who your master is. And, and if, I'm not going to do this, no one's going to do this, but if someone took your ledger, took your checkbook, no one uses a checkbook, logged onto your Bank of America account and saw all your transactions, legitimately not as a hacker trying to steal your identity, did these things, what would it say about what your desires are? What would it say about what you believe? What would it say about what you value? Have you settled in your heart that you have one master and that master is Jesus? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're in this room and, and you're like, this is a bad, bad week to come to church. Not only do I have to hear about Jesus, but I have to hear about how, to, how I can or cannot spend my money. That's, the Bible has a lot to say about how we live our lives. But the, but the exciting thing is that when we line it up with it, I mean, God doesn't, he, he loves us. He calls us to one master because there really is only one master. He calls us to, to, to steward the money the, the way that the Bible says because that's the way that God has designed creation. So it's not, it's not like God's trying to take your, your, your lunch money. No, he wants, to, he wants to help you. So the reality is you can only have one master. But he goes on to explain it because because the people need to hear explicitly what he means. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
I want you to hear what he says. No one can serve two masters. Why? Because he will either hate and love or devote and despise. You can't have this particular behavior because ultimately what's going to bubble up and what's going to be revealed in that behavior is an affection. You, you, whenever, this is why you, can, you can't fake it as a Christian. You can fake it to me and you can fake it to people at church. You can fake, you can fake it, but God knows your motivations. God knows when we come to church and we're faking it. God knows when we, you know, when we, we give tithe and there's this, there's this uh, instance in, in Acts chapter, well, I think it's in chapter two, but uh, the, these two individuals, everyone's selling their stuff. The church is growing and, and the rich people are selling their stuff and giving it to the apostles for the sake of the, the church. And this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they're like, let's get, on, get in on this on the ground floor. We've got some land. We're going to sell it. All of that's legit. It's okay. It's good. They don't have to sell it. God's not saying you have to. The apostles aren't saying, you know, this isn't a multi-level marketing thing. He's just, they're doing it out of their generosity. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sell their land but here's what they do. They, they keep some of it, which is also okay. Uh, Peter even says, it's okay. You could have kept some of it. Um, but they, they present it as though it's all of it. They're like, we just, we just sacrificed all of this apostle. Woo! And, and what, what does it say? You don't, I will tell you what it says if you don't know. <laughs> Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And ultimately what had happened in their heart, the dynamic that was happening in their heart is their love and their hatred was being manifest, was being put on display. And I mean, I trust that God will not do this in this instance, but in that particular instance, I think as a a way of showing the church the holiness of God, Ananias dropped dead. Then Sapphira comes in, it's a bad day for her, and so Peter asks the same question. She lies. It's like, well, you're dead too. And she drops dead. Because God is interested in more than just behavior. He's interested in our affections. He's interested in our love. Right? What does the Shema say? Hear, O Israel, know this. This is your God. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. What? Love the Lord your God. All the other applications will come. All the other behaviors will come when you establish that we are to love our God. Who do you love? What does your money say who you love? We can't serve two masters because we can't be fully devoted to two masters. You know, this idea of purity of heart, you know, having a pure heart, Having a pure heart, it can be kind of hard. What does that that actually mean? Very simply put, having a pure heart is having a single-minded desire. A pure heart towards your spouse is wanting your spouse only. A pure heart toward God is wanting and serving him only. You have to be devoted to one. Managing money in a godly way, it's about more than just proper behavior. It's about the disposition of your heart. And your, de- your devotion will determine your behavior. If money is your master, if, if money is, is determining, if you're devoted to money, it's going to ter- determine how you spend your time. 
Do you, do you spend time with family or do you spend time at work because you got to do the things to get the money and, and climb the ladder? You have to make the sacrifices. Your family has to make the sacrifices to get to where you need to get to to have the money. I'm not saying that it's wrong intrinsically to make sacrifices as a family for the sake of a career. But if, if the ultimate pursuit is money, then it is wrong. How you spend your time. Do you spend your time worrying, fearful, anxious? If money is your master, money determines how you spend your energy. Again, anxious, without peace, waiting for Friday to come, working through mental gymnastics to figure out how to make, make your dollars stretch. And hey, if you're there, there's help and there's grace. If you're in this room and you're like, yes, that's my situation. And I understand that you want Jesus to be the Lord, but that still doesn't give me, you know, a thousand extra bucks in my pocket. I hear you and there are resources. We have classes to help you with the practicalities of it. But at the core, what has to be settled is who are you going to trust? If money is your master, money determines how you spend your resources. Are you hoarding? Are you fearful? Are you keeping things out of fear? Like, I, you know, I, we can't get rid of this, you know, goblet because we might have a goblet party one day where we need to have a gold-rimmed, silver-plated goblet that my grandmother gave to me, and I'm pretty sure it's lined with lead and I can't drink out of it, but we might need it. And I know I can't find another one of these. Or for me, it's, it's books. Like, I'm going to need that reference someday about Near Eastern ancient customs of Budapest. Because, you know, I might study that when I read through Ephesians. Not happening. Whatever it is, you know, it, it, at its core, it, it's, a, it's a trust issue. Are we trusting God? Yeah. Ultimately, if money is your master, you'll miss out on what God has for you. In Matthew, Jesus goes on to talk about being anxious about whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. He says, don't, don't be anxious. You're going to miss out. The main point is this. He talks about it in the last part. You cannot serve God and money. And like I said before, he's not giving two options. We're not creating a pros and cons matrix to determine which is the best return on investment master. You know, should I serve money? You know, what, if, what do the analysts say? I mean, put it in its proper context, what, what's being stated is, should I serve the God of the universe, creator of all things, omnipotent, all-knowing God, or something that has been created? What Jesus is putting before them is to say, you cannot live an idolatrous life. And sometimes when we think about idolatry, we think of you know, a shrine to which we bow, we, we, we light incense, and we sacrifice. And there, there are places and there, is, there are groups that do those, those things, but, but for us to have such a narrow view of idolatry is to ignore what much of the Bible has to say. 
And what he has to say, what God has to say to us about money begins with this attitude of who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve idols? Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve things shaped by people? He wants God to be the master. Does your life and your time and your resources, your energy, does it reflect a life that, that is praying actively the Shema? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. W- would you say that the Lord, Yahweh, that word Lord is not just the God whom I choose. It's the specific Lord, the covenant God of Moses, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is that God, the God of Jesus, the one God in your life? Because he is only the only God in his Trinitarian form. I'm not saying that Jesus is not God. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is the only God. We can talk about wisely handling money. I mean, we have some, some individuals who teach a class called Financial Peace. This will be my plug for it. Financial Peace University is a place where we look at some of the biblical principles that you see laid out in the Bible, and we apply them very actively to your life. We help you make a budget. We help you get out of debt. We help you to establish some investment plans. We are not investment bankers or whatever the illegalese is, but we will help you in that process. There are certainly practicalities to all of this, but the practicalities don't mean anything until you establish the why, until you figure out why am I doing what I'm doing? Who am I doing this for? Uh, A famous pastor, John Piper says, God gives us money so that we can show the world that money is not our God. That God is our God. God gives us resources. He gives us time. He gives us energy. He gives us the ability to make wealth, not so that we can worship those things, but to show that God is more worthy than those things. You cannot serve God and money. Ultimately, this this is what it looks like. When When we serve God, we devote our lives to him and we trust him to provide money. When, we, when God is our master, we serve him and we trust him to provide money. If we get it mixed up, we serve money and trust it to be our God. Real faith is trusting God to provide and keeping him as Lord. In, in second, and it leads you to do some crazy stuff. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He's raising support for some mission work he's doing, and he says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, one of which was Philippi. So if you read the book of Philippians, uh, he's referencing these people. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into the wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the favor of of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
So, so Paul was basically saying, here's the situation. I went to Macedonia and I told them that there needed to be some relief efforts and I'm, I'm raising some money for one of the churches. And they said, we want to give to this. And so they gave, you know, they gave their 10% or, or whatever it was. This is not their local church. So it's, it's an offering or whatever. They gave the money and then they looked back and they said, no, we need to give more. And they gave sacrificially. They gave up their Starbucks. They gave up their fancy shoes. They, you know, I'm, I'm joking. They, they were poor, so they didn't even have those things. And they gave in affliction, in pain, in suffering, and in poverty, they gave abundantly and generously. Now, if, if, you, if you remove God from that equation, that makes no sense. Right? If, if money is your God, then it's like, what? That doesn't, no, you, you save your money for yourself. You, you look out for yourself. You, you do what you have to do to provide for yourself. That only makes sense when God is their master, when they can say, I'm gonna give because I've already received so much in Jesus Christ and I know that ultimately I'm gonna receive even more. The reason we talk about stewardship well, it's two reasons. One, because it shapes our heart. When we think about how we handle money, it, it helps us to be explicit and intentional about saying what our desires are and how those desires should lead us to use money. If our desire is to glorify God, then we will make decisions based upon that. We will, say, we will say things like, you know what, we're not gonna buy that this year because we're gonna go on this mission trip. Or we're not gonna do this because we're gonna support this uh, church effort, or we're not going to do this because we want to help this orphan situation, or, or we're going to save money in this situation, we're not going to spend it because we don't want to honor God by living wisely. It, it, it determines how we do these things. And it looks different than what the world expects. So many things that God calls us to makes us what the Bible calls a peculiar people. When people look at you, they kind of go, huh? You know, and it's easy in this, in this area to live like that because it's really hard to keep up with the Joneses. There's so many temptations in, in, in our area to live in such a way that we project a particular image. And, and what, what God is inviting us to is to, one, live in a way that our, our hearts are pure. We have one master and in a way that says to the world, that testifies to the world, money isn't my God. God is my God. That's, that's stewardship. Stewardship is trusting God and using what God has entrusted to you in a way that makes God look great. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you are a God who we can trust to provide. If you're in this room and that's a struggle of yours, I want to pray for you. Because God does not want you to live a life of anxiety. He, he goes on to say in chapter 6, don't be anxious about these things. Don't worry about these things because God, who cares about the birds and the flowers and and, and and makes them look beautiful, he cares for you all the more. So if you're in this room and you're saying, I can't really get on board with that because I got too many things going on, I want to invite you to, 
to put your faith in the God who created the universe and to expect God to do something miraculous. Now, for some, that's you get a check in the mail for something that happened to the government, and you, it's a super awesome surprise. And for some of us, it's awesome, rice and beans for the next six months. But somehow God will provide for your needs and he promises to do so. So if you're in that room, if you're in that situation, I'm gonna pray for you specifically. Father God, we thank you that you promise to provide. That that provision means that you will take care of our, our needs. And Lord, we extend our faith in the God who created the universe, the God who saves us in Jesus Christ and who promises to provide. And we trust in you, not in money not in our own abilities to gather money, not in our own abilities to, to make things happen. Lord, I pray that we would see miracles, that we'd hear testimony of your faithfulness, that we'd be able to say that because of the way we have spent money and trusted uh, you in our money issues, Lord, that, that we have made your name great.